welcome to the new episode of Dr. Who Panel to Panel. This is Jeremy Bument, your host, welcoming you to episode 148. In this episode, we are going to kind of do like we always do. We will start out by taking a look at the news, what is new and interesting in the world of Dr. Who comics. And then we will go into our review segment. We will open the Pandorica on Liberation of the Daleks Part 1. This is Part 1 of a new 13-part strip from uh, Alan Barnes and Lee Sullivan. This issue or this strip is in the new issue of Doctor Who Magazine in issue number 584, and we will be reviewing it. And then, coincidentally enough, uh, we will be having a chat with Lee Sullivan, who is the new artist on uh, the comic strip in Doctor Who Magazine. But Lee Sullivan is definitely not somebody who is new to the world of Doctor Who comics. He has drawn a lot of Doctor Who comics in his uh, illustrious career as a comic book artist. And we will be chatting with Lee a little bit about his career. Um, In fact, a few episodes ago, I did a classic episode with the very first interview with Lee. And uh, I haven't chatted with him since then. And neither one of us could realize that eight years have gone by since we did that first interview. So it was great to catch up with Lee Sullivan, find out how he got this gig of doing uh, Liberation of the Daleks, and finding out more about his craft, his work as a comic artist, and more about him. And I think you'll really enjoy this interview with Lee. And that is it for the episode. That's what we're going to cover this time around. So, without further ado, let's get into this episode and start by taking a look at the news. In Doctor Who comic news for this episode of Panel to Panel, let's take a look at new releases. And that is pretty easy to do, considering that for the month of November, the only new release was Doctor Who magazine issue number 584, which came out on Thursday, November 10th, over in the UK and digitally. So make sure you check that out. It's the the first Doctor Who magazine featuring the 14th Doctor on the cover. It is the first magazine that has had a little bit of a revamp to uh, bring it into the RTD2, or Russell T. Davies' uh, second era of Doctor Who. And it was a really good, really entertaining and interesting read. And uh, you get a new Doctor Who comic strip out of it, which we will talk about shortly. And according to my calculations, uh, for December, on Thursday, December 8th, Doctor Who magazine number 585 should be released, both digitally and uh, over in the UK on the newsstands. So make sure you uh, grab that when you have a chance, uh, especially since the the issue 584, I know, on the newsstands and from Panini over in the UK, it actually sold out and they had to go through and print some more. So that's a good sign. We like it when Doctor Who magazine sells out. Uh, other than that, as far as Doctor Who comic strip news, there's not too much terrible uh, important news. One thing I want to mention is a friend of the show and former Doctor Who magazine editor John Freeman is doing a Doctor Who comic strip on his website, which is downthetubes.net, I believe is his website. And back in the day of his editorship at Doctor Who magazine, there was talk and discussion and even some uh, preliminary work on doing a Doctor Who comic strip for newspapers, a newspaper strip. And... um, That never really went anywhere, but John is revisiting that. He has found himself a really talented artist, and together they are working on kind of doing a, I believe it's a weekly uh, comic strip of Doctor Who featuring the Seventh Doctor and Ace. And if you go to John's website, once again, which is called downthetubes.net, or if you look up John Freeman and Down the Tubes and Doctor Who, you'll probably uh, be able to track his website down on Google. 
But you can uh, check out this comic strip that, or this newspaper strip. Um, so far, it's been really entertaining. There are only like three or four strips in, and uh, you can check it out for yourself. Outside of that, one other project I wanted to talk about, not entirely Doctor Who related, but it involves friend of the show, Paul Cornell. I know I mentioned this an episode or so ago. Paul is doing a fundraiser for his comic book, uh, Saucer Country, which started out as a comic with DC Comics and their Vertigo line, and then went over to IDW to continue on. Uh, it never actually got finished, but Paul is doing a fundraiser uh, via the Zoop website, Z-O-O-P, and he is working on coming out with an omnibus, which includes the final chapter to wrap up this story. If you like stories about uh, conspiracy theories, the government, and UFOs, this trust me, it's right up your alley. Um, I know I've backed it. There's not too much more time to back it, and there's about 20% to go to get it fully funded. So make sure if you uh, have read Paul's work in the in the past, I know <clears throat> this is one of his pet projects and something that's very near and dear to him, so let's help Paul uh, cross that finish line. So do me a favor, do a Google search for Paul Cornell and Saucer Country, and you'll probably come across his fundraising campaign and help back his project. So, with that out of the way, that is it for the news. Exterminate! Alright, it's time to do a Doctor Who comic strip review, like we always do in Doctor Who panel to panel. It's time to take a look at the most recent comic strip that has come out about Doctor Who, which is uh, Liberation of the Daleks. This is in Doctor Who magazine, issue number 584. Just came out a couple weeks ago. This is part one of a story that is written by uh, Alan Barnes, with art by Lee Sullivan, coloring by James O'Freddy, lettering by Roger Langridge, and Marcus Hearn is the editor of the strip. Now this strip is the first strip to uh, feature the 14th Doctor, first of all, and second of all, this is the first comic strip in 43 years to fall into continuity with the TV show. This uh, You can definitely see this by the very first panel, uh, for those of you who watched Power of the Doctor and saw Jodie Whittaker regenerate into the 14th Doctor, or David Tennant. Uh, the, the cliff overseeing the, the body of water where that episode ended, this strip has, first panel, the Doctor walking back from the cliff into the TARDIS. Uh, he is kind of remembering, the, looking at his hand and saying, it's my old hand, you know, even though it's the 14th Doctor. But the TARDIS uh, takes off, and uh, they're answering a distress call. And so he ends up discovering, we find out by the second page, that he's right outside Wembley Stadium. Uh, it is the 30th of July, 1966. It is the final of the World Cup. Very timely, considering that the World Cup is just going on right now in present day, so I thought that was rather neat. And as this strip progresses through the, the rest of the pages, the Doctor goes into Wembley Stadium to try to find out where this distress call was coming from. He is, uh, uses his psychic paper to get into the, the stadium and then uses the, the science screwdriver, which I want to point out is the 13th Doctor's uh, science screwdriver, but he ends up finding a family of four who uh, have cloaking or uh, psychic shields on that uh, make them look human. And so he uses the science screwdriver to 
blow their cover and show that they're aliens. And as he's talking about how people are kind of noticing them, the aliens are quick to point out, no, everybody's looking at the big UFO that's hovering over the stadium. And that's where we uh, discover that there's a, a hatch that opens and a bunch of Daleks fly out and start exterminating the players on the field. And that's where the, the kind of the cliffhanger for this strip comes into play. That's where it ends. Um, this strip, I thought, was very fast-paced, which makes sense when you find out that this strip, this part one, is part of a 13-part strip that is going to tell the 14th Doctor's very first adventure, which takes place in the span of an hour. So you have uh, 14 parts of a story that by the time you get from beginning of part one to the end of part 14, only one hour time has taken place. So this is going to be a really fast-paced story with a lot going on, I think. And right from the get-go of this, uh, it feels that way. The amount of time it takes for the Doctor to get from the TARDIS into Wembley Stadium and start finding out where the stress call is coming from, uh, it's kind of some quick jumps in the strip, which kind of need to happen in order for the story to progress in the span of six pages. This uh, story by Alan Barnes' first part definitely gets you into the the start of the story right off the bat. By the time you get to the end, you have Daleks flying around, so um, very fast pace. Lee Sullivan's artwork, it's great to see Lee back at uh, drawing the, the strip. His artwork looks just as well as it always has. Uh, you'll hear in the interview coming up with Lee that he kind of had to shake the rest off because he hasn't drawn Doctor Who in quite some time, but I don't think he's missed a step. I think it looks just as good as it as it has. The only uh, thing that kind of bugged me, this is me being kind of nitpicky, is that you can tell the the lines aren't super crisp. Um, they have kind of a pixelating edge to them from being uh, digital artwork as opposed to being something that was hand-drawn and then scanned, which that's kind of a little... To me, I always catch that kind of thing. It kind of bugs me a little bit, but it doesn't interfere with the story at all. It doesn't interfere with the artwork. Um, it's still wonderful artwork, great story, nice quick pace. Um, I'm interested to see what happens next. I'm glad that only two more weeks until the next part comes out. And... Um, this story, compared to previous stories that we had with the 13th Doctor, to me, those stories never really felt like they had a lot of substance to them. It almost felt like they had to make sure they told very tame stories with the, the Doctor and her fam um, to make sure they didn't step on any toes of anybody doing the TV show or anybody in the Chibnall uh, production offices. This strip feels kind of the exact opposite. It feels back to the way Doctor Who as a comic strip and Doctor Who magazine used to feel, where they can do whatever they want, basically, and uh, it's okay. They can uh, tell fast-paced stories. They can bring in the Daleks. They can do things to tell great stories without fear of repercussions from the production office. or The production office saying, no, you can't do that. So I'm looking forward to the rest of this trip. I think this first part is a, a really great intro to this story. And it's a big thumbs up for me. Let's see where the story goes. You will be deleted. All right. Today on Doctor Who Panel to Panel, we are chatting with current Doctor Who magazine comic strip artist Lee Sullivan. Lee, it's a pleasure to chat with you again. 
It's a pleasure to talk with you again, too, Jeffrey. And before we get started talking about the, the new stuff, I, I don't know if I've ever mentioned this to you or not, but back in when I first started or first found out about Doctor Who magazine, the very first issue of Doctor Who magazine I ever bought was issue number 142, which was the, included the second part of the Planet of the Dead uh, comic strip, which was your first Doctor Who comic strip, wasn't it? Yeah, you're, that, you're, that's my, my nascent career. Yeah, it's, I, I was just thinking that you and I kind of are tied in with Doctor Who, well, with comics anyway, in that era for two different reasons. One, the Doctor Who magazine 142 was the first one I ever bought, so that was my first uh, comic strip that I saw with your artwork. But then I also have a really vivid memory back around, it must have been around 89 or 90. I remember watching MTV, and on MTV News one day, Kurt Loder was talking about how Marvel was doing a RoboCop comic book, and Lee Sullivan was going to be the artist of said comic book. Really? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, hey, that's the guy that was in Doctor Who magazine. (laughs) Yes, I've been poached. (laughs) Yep. In fact... I was just speaking to Richard Starkings on the uh, miracle that is the internet, um, who was the uh, the writer, uh, well, the editor at the time actually of um, of Doctor Who when I came into it, the editor of the comic strip, and you uh-huh. listened to you, uh, yeah. I think, as well. Yep. Um, and uh, uh, he was the guy who got me the RoboCop gig because he went over to he left Marvel UK. Uh, after I'd started my run, uh, little run on, two, on um, Doctor Who, and uh, he was starting up his uh, freelance lettering business, which has become the enormously successful Comic Craft um, yep. uh, lettering company. Uh, and um, he, I think he was passing through um, uh, Greg's um, editorial office and sort of suggested that Greg Wright, um, who was editing, looking to edit Robocop. I think they had someone drop out. I always okay. play some. I'm sort, of the Moore, I'm sort of the Roger Moore of comics. Uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> never as popular, but, but does a fair job. <laughs> anyway, he, um, he waved my art under Greg's nose, and I got the, the gig on Robocop, mainly because of the Doctor Who art and because I was drawing people that didn't look like superheroes. Um, okay. You know, so there was that that aspect to it. So Robocop, not set in a world of superheroes, but in terms of a real kind of dystopia. So I got yeah. the job. So it was it, Richard has been instrumental in a lot of um, my. Uh, he's like the monolith in two thousand and one. Every time he appears, you know, I advance slightly. Uh-huh. And so uh, he's um, he's uh, he's been, been an important chap. You know. That's interesting. I, I didn't know there were. I didn't know that it was being spoken of in such a way. I would. I would remember. I, for some reason, it's. I have a vivid memory of it. I know it, it was on MTV, and I'm not exactly sure why it was, but it just popped up no. one day, and I was like, "Oh, I I recognize that name." Amazing um, that they would actually mention the artist, since I was absolutely known known by no one. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but. Gideon, real quick, was Doctor Who magazine your first comic book uh, art, or did you do stuff before that? Almost, uh, but what's the, what set it in chain was uh, I had gone to Marvel UK with John Higgins, who is a colorist on Watchmen and has done all sorts of wonderful artwork. Okay. Um, 
And he uh, took me in and sort of showed me off, basically. And they gave me some cover artworks to do for Transformers. And Trans- okay. I then worked on for about a year, and then I did a... Um, I, I basically wrangled my, myself a comic strip in the end. And, uh, and that was my first comic strip. And the first... So the first comic strip I did was followed by the first comic strip with humans in it, which was a Transformers story with featuring Richard Branson, uh, who's uh, slightly well known these days. Yeah, uh, <laughs> a little bit. Uh, and uh, we we popped him into the comic strip for a laugh, and uh, and it got a bit of publicity. And um, it, it, it uh, but it was the first time I'd actually drawn a human being in comic strip form. I had <laughs> almost no training in it. I just went straight in from standard illustration to what I thought was comic book artwork. Uh, so that Transformers story with Branson in was followed immediately by my first Doctor Who story, which was Planet of the Dead. Uh, mm-hmm. I was catapulted into the job that I had 10 years previously uh, been extremely jealous of uh, seeing that Dave Gibbons had been uh, occupying that position when the uh, magazine started. When yeah. Actually. Yeah, and uh, I remember seeing at the time. I thought that bastard has got my job. <laughs> uh, so uh, a mere ten years later, I I went from almost nowhere to being in Doctor Who magazine within, yeah, in terms of comic strips, uh, within a, a matter of months. It was it yeah. was just strange. But again, it was Richard Starkings who was looking for someone to do uh, a multi doctor. Uh, and multi-companions um, story. And, of course, that features likenesses. And although I've always been a bit puzzled by this, apparently some people can do likenesses and some can't. I, I mean, I find that myself. Sometimes, yeah. I, sometimes I can't. But a lot more people are kind of shy of them, I think. And so Richard uh, thought that I'd done this Branson uh, drawing, and that okay. was pretty uh, And so that was, it, you know, it just fell straight into it like that. So the first... Really, the first comic strip that I drew was about with entirely featuring humanoids. I suppose is really all you can say about it. Yeah, uh, was um, uh, was you know really my second, third, fourth comic strip, which was Doctor Who, mm-hmm. and it changed my life because then because of that, that was quite successful because it was part of the twenty fifth anniversary um, yeah. or celebrations, and uh, because Richard and I would spend a bit of time in the pub. Uh, uh, chatting about who and what we liked and what we didn't like. And um, Daleks came up quite quickly. And so Daleks it was for the next strip. And that really cemented me with Doctor Who magazine for some considerable time. Yeah. Uh, And look where we are now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That that leads us perfectly into uh, present day and the new issue of Doctor Who magazine, uh, Features your artwork, which, uh, according to the article that's in there, is the first time you've done a strip in Doctor Who magazine since 2002. So, what was it? Yeah, for for 20 years, there's been a gap without your artwork. So, I guess my first question to you is, um, how did you get approached to do this? Oh well, um, I think uh, that well, what happened was Marcus Hearn, the, the editor of the magazine. Uh, and I had worked together on a Century 21, uh, so a Jerry Anderson cover, for um, uh, for his 
line of books when he was edit- when he was publishing those reprints of TV Twenty One, the great uh, Jerry Anderson. Oh. Uh-huh. Which also featured the Daleks, uh, so we can still keep it on Doctor Who. Um, sure. And uh, he um, <clears throat> he had used me once at, when he was guest editing, I think, about f- maybe five, six, seven years ago. And he, he, he asked me to do an illustration of Daleks then, uh, which I did. Uh, and um, then I heard nothing more. And then finally he's become full-time editor of the magazine. And when the opportunity arose, he rang me up and said, um, it's been a long time since you were in the magazine. How do you feel about coming back? Uh-huh. And so I cautiously said, well, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, oh, go ahead. No, you, you go ahead. Uh, yeah, uh, from reading the article, it's, it's, uh, it said that it just happened to fall into kind of the right place, right time, that you were free to do it. Um, yes. Um, well, the thing is, <clears throat> he had asked me to do a previous strip, uh, just prior to this, I imagine that was as a tryout. Maybe I don't know. I don't. Okay. You, you never second guess why people are asking you to do things. Just, just, just don't look the gift horse in the mouth. Uh, yeah, but I definitely. Couldn't, I couldn't do that because I was working on something else at the time. I simply didn't have the time to do it. It would have been nice, but uh, but I couldn't couldn't mm-hmm. do that. But he said, "Well, there's something else coming up, um, but I can't tell you about it." Uh, so he <laughs> he didn't tell me about it, and. Um, uh, several times, <laughs> it was it was a very fascinating process because uh, in the end I had to sign non-disclosure agreements with Bad Wolf, who are the production company of Doctor Who, mm-hmm. uh, in order that I could be told anything about the project. Uh, and uh, and even when I signed those, Marcus still didn't tell me anything very much. <laughs> I think because he did again. They were keeping their cards extremely close to their chest, bad balls, completely understandably. Uh, but it made we had this very little dance around each other for a while, saying, "Well," and I would say things like, "Well, does it feature the next Doctor?" And he's, "Well, I can't tell you that." And uh, does it feature every dead generation? Well, I can't tell you that. Uh, and uh, and so it went on for a while. But in the end. Uh, we finally nailed it, but but even so, we were still right as I I had begun the comic strip before we got reference shots for uh, the first scene, which is okay. the, the the scene immediately following uh, the end of the uh, the the, uh, the episode where mm-hmm. Ted emerged. So it was kind of interesting, and he's definitely the fourteenth. So uh, just in case anyone's wondering, he's the, he's. He's the tenth and the fourteenth Doctor. Well, I I know it was interesting. Uh, I love the new issue that just that just came out a few weeks ago uh, because it had a, a blurb on the cover about a new strip inside with the fourteenth Doctor, and yeah. uh, that that this is the first strip in since the Doctor Who magazine started to actually have a strip that was in continuity with the TV show. Um, Yes. How how important does that feel to you that the this is something so monumental to have it being in continuity and taking place in between the end of the power of the doctor and the anniversary specials that are coming up? Well, I mean, it's a terrific privilege. Uh, I was uh, I was really uh, very very pleased to to be asked to do this type of thing because you know that. For this, they need someone that they really 
uh, think can can come up with the goods uh, mm-hmm. and uh, so that the prestige of it was very nice but also the pressure was quite uh, quite great really um, yeah that's but, understandable. But, but, but the thing about the continuity is that it matters a lot in terms of the comic strip uh, the viewers of the special many of them will not have the slightest idea that there was a previous um, adventure of the 14th Doctor in the first hour of his after his regeneration, uh, which is how long you know, this story, this whole 13-month epic, uh, takes place over an hour of the Doctor's life. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, But it can be, you know, you'll be able to view the TV show. I don't know whether they'll refer to this story. I hope they do, because that would be quite cool. Yeah. Uh, but it, if you're reading the comic, uh, if you're a reader of the comic, then, of course, it's very important because, you know, this is the first thing he gets to do. And it's the intentions and um, with the blessing of the TV uh, production crew and very definitely under the helm of Scott Hancock and, uh, and Russell T. Davis, who are definitely hands on with the scripts. Uh, and presumably also approving the art. I had to change one um, illustration at their behest, but that but, you know it's been a very good relationship. But yeah. you know they're really on the ball with this. They they won't let anything go by, by that isn't what they want to go by. If you see mm-hmm. what I mean. So, but the pressure was kind of interesting because uh, you know it had been twenty years since I'd done anything in the comic in Doctor Who magazine. I've done other Doctor Who things outside. I did a, a, a strip for Battles in Time featuring the 10th Doctor, ironically. Uh, okay. And, and, uh, and Daleks, ironically. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, uh, yeah, some of which may make a reappearance. Uh, but, um, uh, but for me personally, I thought, well, this is great as long as I get it right. Because if I don't get it right, what it will be is the you know, the conquering hero returns, ha, 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 by <laughs> yeah. being very ironic. Uh, but this guy from way back when is going to turn up with the big hoo-ha of the new strip, and if it's rubbish, that will be <laughs> the end of all the, all the goodwill that I may have built up in the past <laughs> from my uh, resting on my laurels uh, for the last 20 years will, will suddenly vaporise, <laughs> and I'll be this schmuck who... Uh, who screwed the strip up, you know. So that was quite interesting. Also, just the the pressure of time was immense on this one because there were rewrites and, you know, the whole thing was all very, very tight timing, particularly the first episode. Yeah. Uh, And actually the second episode because we suddenly ran into, I thought, oh, gosh, I'll have a bit more of a breather now. And then it was immediately the Christmas episode is the second part will be released. So it has to beat the Christmas uh, scheduling, um, yeah. uh, production wise. So <laughs> my my weekend just gone. Uh, was, <laughs> uh, we're, we're speaking on a Thursday, but on Saturday morning, I was still endeavouring to finish the last page of uh, part two. Uh, at three o'clock in the morning, at four o'clock in the morning, I was woken up by my wife uh, from my catatonic state. Um, <laughs> And um, she said, "You've got to come to bed. You've got to come to bed. You're you're going to a convention this morning. Uh-huh. Um, you know, a two a two day convention in London was, yeah. was there, London Film Comic Con. Uh, 
and uh, you've got to come to bed and go to sleep for a bit. And I said, no, I haven't. I've got to finish this job. And so from four o'clock till five o'clock, I finished the last Dalek and, um, <laughs> and then emailed it off and then went to bed for an hour, then got up and um, went to London. <laughs> wow. So, my weekend, I was feeling slightly jaded by that. I thought, this is a, this is a game for younger men than I. <laughs> but, uh, I know that feeling. Yeah. I, I get that feeling in what's well myself. Like, I'm not, a, not as uh, energetic and spry as I was in my younger days. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I used to be able to pull one night stand. Not one night stands. That sounds terrible. Uh, <laughs> yes, I used to do a lot of one night stands before I was married. You understand, <laughs> I used to pull one-nighters, uh, and um, that was okay when I was 25. When I was start, when I was doc, uh, beginning doctor, I was already 20, uh, uh, 30 when I started that. So okay. now I'm at the relatively old age of 64, and um, it's just uh, I was I was thinking about retiring this year. Um, you know, my pension comes up and. I thought, uh -huh. well, you know, I can ease back. And as I said, those are pension plans, you know, gone down the tubes, really. Yep. I said, yeah. <laughs> so uh, so I'm back for a year doing Doctor Who. And then um, yeah, there are probably other projects in the, in the offing. But it's, it's great. If it was going to be anything, for it to be this is massively uh, satisfying for me. Yeah, that's totally understandable. I, uh, in in the Doctor Who magazine, the article about the comic strip, uh, they quoted uh, Russell T. Davies as saying that if we were going to have the Daleks in this strip, Lee is the only choice to to draw the strip. Um, what do you think I, about I think that I, that compliment? Uh, it's it's a very nice one, and um, I, I I almost can't really believe that 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 he said it. But on the other hand, uh, nothing nothing Russell. Nothing goes out under Russell's name without Russell's approval, I think. So I yeah. have to say it's a very nice compliment and it's lovely. Um, and it, but it added another. I knew that was the sentiment before I, you know, before the first one hit the stands. Uh -huh. And I just, again, it just piled on a little bit of extra pressure there. <laughs> yeah, the only guy who can do this strip. Let's see what he can do. You know. <laughs> I, I think that's and pretty I high praise. I hope. That, I hope that it won't be, uh, uh, you know, that I won't disappoint. But it is, you know, it, it was a bit of a thing, you know, for it to come back after that time. So, yeah. Uh, what was it like drawing the the strip after, you know, a twenty year hiatus? Uh, my my question regarding that was, um, has has your the way you draw a strip changed? Have have back in two thousand two when you were drawing the strip, were you, you doing old-fashioned pencil and, and illustration board? Are you on to uh, digital now for doing your, your artwork? Well, back in 2002, which we did the th a strip called Children of the Revolution, which was written by Scott Gray and drawn by me, and Adrian Salmon coloured it, and some very good person did the lettering. I can't exactly remember who. But, um, yeah, I was still working mostly uh, longhand, so I was still okay. drawing... All the elements um, I would, but I was just starting to experiment with putting the files together digitally and then sending them off so that I was able then uh, to do my usual. I'm a, you know, the, the, the truth. I mean, I know that you shouldn't say this sort of stuff, but I am a terrible hack. 
I will use all the methods I can to speed the process up and to try and generate the most interesting artwork I can. Yeah. Um, so I was, as the thing featured thousands of Daleks, <laughs> uh, a, <laughs> which is a theme in my work, <clears throat> um, <laughs> I started using Photoshop quite extensively in that in order to uh, manipulate some drawings and re uh, duplicate them and, and put hordes of the things there instead of just one or two. Yeah. Um, I think very stupidly, I'd started using a um, um, a marker pen for the inking, which was okay. Uh, again, it speeded things up. Um, but I found later on that when you stack the artboards together, um, the 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 ink in the marker pens would actually kind of make an imprint on the page above it so that you would have a a reverse image on the piece of paper above it yeah which was yellow which was the blacks all looked like yellow so they'd kind of been burned like bleach would burn that the uh -huh. perfect image of the thing but unfortunately what then happens that's okay but but what would happen then is if the stack shifted at all it would then burn back through onto the the original piece onto so the original in yellow, very peculiar. I, I, but I gave up working longhand very soon after that. I think that the next Doctor Who strip I did was for IDW, and that was a um, that was a second Doctor strip, and that was my first fully digital. Um, oh, okay. Uh, and that's what I've been doing ever since. Really, it's because there's the time element is so crucial uh, with comic strips, and, and I couldn't have done. I literally, at my age now, in my venerable uh, dotage, I couldn't have produced the job that I've just done without working digitally. There wouldn't have been time to put all the elements in. Uh, I would have simply had to pull all-nighters right the way through, and that, you know, yeah. that's a very quick to burn yourself out totally. So, um, yeah, so now I've come back and it's fully digital, uh, and... I've got used to doing things like that. I think when I was in Battles in Time, that was also part, I think that was still drawing. Yeah, I was still drawing it then. But again, using more and more uh, manipulation. And uh, I just, you know, I like gizmos anyway. It's nice to work with uh -huh. toys. But the, with the comic strip, you can, particularly if you're drawing uh, likenesses and things that actually exist, you can import the reference use it almost directly I and mean, tracing is a harsh word but you can you can use it very clearly as a basis for what you're what you're yeah. trying to do i always try to use photographs and then change them so that they don't look like the original source material anymore but you know sometimes they slip through the net um, yeah. but it's to try and give an overall look but the, the great thing about digital is you can take an existing image for example if you've got a really nice likeness of tenant and um, it's sli sitting slightly too big on the shoulders, you know, because your drawing just, you know, wanders off a bit and the scale uh -huh. is different. Just loop around it and then shrink it down to the right size. So you don't have to sit there. In the olden times, back when dinosaurs still roamed the earth, <laughs> and I was Marvel Comics, uh, uh, Robocop and, and Tech World, um, uh, I used to rush up the <laughs> – if I got a situation like that, I would go up the road to my local uh, 
I suppose they'd be real tours for you, uh, estate agents, we call them, uh-huh. where they had a photocopying machine, and I would make photocopies of the artwork at 95% and 90% and 85% and choose which one was the right Choose which one would, would fit and appropriately. The original artwork. And then I used to fax things. I used to create, I was talking about this the other day, someone. The way we used to work seems so, it's really antediluvian now. Uh, we used to, I used to get the script sent by fax. Faxes used to come in, which for those of you who don't know what they are, they're <laughs> a reel of paper with very scratchy looking uh, photocopies of, of text that's been sent at the other end down the phone line. Uh, and um, we used, then I would do roughs and I would send the roughs off like that so they could see what the, uh, what the thing was going to look like. Uh-huh. Um, and then... As I was finishing pencils, I would call up Federal Express about every seven or eight pages, maybe, and they would come and pick pick the cardboard up, ship it over to the states. You know, you're two and a half thousand yeah. miles or whatever it is to New York, and then that would be then shipped off to someone to do the coloring, and it would and presumably the, the the separations were done by someone in Mexico, you know, someone with a uh-huh. someone cheap. Yeah. Uh, and so it, the, the the art board itself and 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 the work would just be really global, but by real old methods, you know, old style stuff. It just isn't. It's such a different world now. The trouble is that because it's now quicker, you can email artwork direct. But everything has started to accommodate that. So deadlines get tighter because you can actually work faster. Uh, it's yeah. a, nothing. Nothing has particularly got better. So you have to use even more cheating methods. <laughs> it's terrible. I really should be. I yeah. yeah, I think it's amazing how when you look at how a comic book uh, or a comic strip was produced, you know, 25 years ago compared to present day, how how much of a difference there is and how, uh, like you said, a, a comic page in between somebody who's drawn it in the UK and it being published in, here in the States, how many miles that, that comic page could put, get put on it in between its round trip going, you know, from you back to you in the, in the end, uh, it's just astounding how, how nowadays you can draw everything digitally, send a file through the internet. And it's, it's just incredible how things have changed. Yeah, it is. It's it's a it is a wholly different world to the one that my early days on Doctor Who magazine. The thing was still being uh, using the cut and paste method. The whole magazine was put together, you know, with yeah. cow gum, uh, which is a terrific way of getting high if you, uh, if you, <laughs> if you fancy. Uh, and um, and and literally sticking things down and you know, knifing up photographs and uh-huh. all kinds of crazy stuff. You know? But it's it's just all gone now. That 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 whole even desktop publishing, which was something that came in and I started using for a while, um, that seems to have vanished as well. The whole thing's now just done on PCs or Macs, because I use a Mac and a, an iPad Pro to do my sketches with, and then transfer it over onto the Mac and work in something called Manga Studio, which I think is now called Clip Studio uh, something or other. Uh, and um, uh, that's a, a specialist inking program. So I use a, a, a Wacom 
Cintiq um, uh, screen with a stylus, and of, obviously the iPad Pro is, is, has a stylus and a, and a touch-sensitive uh-huh. screen. It, those methods, of, and you can import them from one to the other, and it's, it's lovely. It's yeah. much, much, well, I don't know if it's better, but it's certainly, um, it's certainly more flexible, I think, methods. Yeah. Yeah. Um, getting back to the, the new strip, uh, have, the writer of the strip is Alan Barnes. Have you worked with Alan before? Yes. Uh, now, that's a good question. I have worked alongside Alan, and I think we've worked before, although I'm, I'm terribly I'm, – I cannot hold all these details in my head for very long. <laughs> I think we've worked on a strip, but I might be wrong. But Alan was working in the, on, along the strip around the time that I was still going into Doctor Who magazine and chatting with the guys. So um, uh, I can remember I can remember being with him. Uh, okay. I'm, I'm curious whether we've actually worked together, <laughs> but that's like that's just one of those things. I've got a hopeless memory for that sort of thing. Uh-huh. So so what what's it like working with Alan now on this on the strip? Has it been a, a one or a, a joyous experience so far? Oh yeah, because uh, well I mean we don't we haven't actually directly communicated beyond saying oh, I've got that that looks great or whatever. Okay, uh, we have really collaborated because uh, in in that sense because you never do I, i've i the only time i've ever really spent much time chatting about the the script with the author of the script with the writer really was rivers of london when i was working with ben aronovich and um andrew cartmel uh-huh. uh, whose names are obviously doctor who alumni Yep, um, but uh, even then what happens is you get a script and then you just try and draw it as best you can there isn't a sort of moment I, I, there are obviously projects I can imagine when Alan Moore was working with Dave Gibbons or with David Lloyd uh, on, the, on those uh, big things maybe there's a lot more to it than throwing about how the scripts were going I don't yeah. know but, but there never is really with me they just give me the script and I get on with it and then okay. if there's anything wrong with it then I might get a note saying this but really the great thing is an important thing is is the script any good because if the script isn't good then you've got a lot of hard work to try and convert it into something which works uh, in a narrative fashion and that's yeah. certainly not the case with, with Alan Alan's writing perfectly great scripts, and I'm really um, very pleased to be working with him. Uh, it, it, you know, it, the the writer, <clears throat> I think the writer is God. Uh, they are the person that controls the whole thing, and the artist has to illustrate it. Um, and it's and that's my job. My job is to try and get across what he said in his script yeah. as well as I can. Um, and Alan's script is really good because he's quite clever at not putting in too much detail so that it's not too prescriptive. So okay. you've got a, I've got a script in front of me now, actually, which is, um, uh, okay, so um, here we are. The, this is on the, uh, this is on panel two, page one. It says, from inside the TARDIS, looking out, across the console towards the doors. 
where the new doctor is bounding in. Extreme foreground, the edge of the console, where a button or something is flashing from the area of over which the doctor stands at two minutes and 56 seconds into the episode battle <laughs> of uh, and, um, and 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 so, it, you know, he's telling you exactly what to do, uh-huh. but it's not too prescriptive, and he's not saying it has to be this actual definite button or switch or light or whatever it is. Um, and that's really good because if it's if it's too vague, you don't know where you what to do, and if it's too prescriptive, it can really cramp your style. Yeah, and always very suspicious when people say. This, the person has to enter from the left and they're going crossing to the right and doing this and this and this. That's great. Sometimes some writers will write in two actions at the same time, a reaction, an, an action and a reaction, or a, a, an action and a consequence. And that's something you always have to disentangle slightly. But um, sometimes a writer will, will express the, you know, the, the sequence of what's things happening on the... Uh, on the panel, but but then the actual wording, the the text volumes will actually be in a different order to the sequence, the the way that people appear on the in the panel. So sure. you have to be a bit kind of. It's nice if there's not so much prescriptive description because then you can you can kind of dance around them. A lot of what comic strip art is is choreography. You're you're both the, the the cameraman and the and the designer and the uh, choreographer of the movie that's happening in, in 2D in front of you. So I try to arrange, I'm always thinking of how to rearrange people so that they can be speaking in the right order. Yeah. A lot of, I think a lot of artists do not necessarily follow exactly what the writers have, uh, have written and the sequence, but I, I'm very, prosaic I, I work you know the, the writer's written this let's do it that's that's mm-hmm. the bit I, I can do um so uh, i suppose that's why, that's why why writers like me because i actually do what they ask it sounds like it's nice to to have that uh, kind of a, a a general idea of what the writer's looking for but still give you enough leeway to to kind of interpret it, how visually you you see it. Yeah, I I you know you try. I think in part one, I uh, I was slightly rest- not by anyone else, but a by time and b by the inertia of starting up a project. You 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 jump straight in, and you've got to hit the ground running. Well, you know it has been twenty years. I am you know. I've been not out to pasture because I've been working all the time, but uh-huh. not in this particular milieu for a little while. So I was just, and, and also there's an awful lot in that first episode just yeah. to show. So there, I don't know if this is uh, too spoilery, but there is a very large, well-known uh, football stadium uh, full of a crowd of, I don't know, 26,000 people or something. Uh there's a very large spaceship which appears out of which pour thousands of the aforementioned Daleks. Uh-huh. Um, you know, that's a lot of stuff to, to get into uh, a strip and it's a lot of stuff to choreograph. And, you know, I, I was, have, I had so much, 
on my plate doing that. I sort of didn't manage quite to do some of the little tricks I used to do, close-ups and so on. But that is, I've addressed that in part two, and I think it will get more dynamic as it goes on. Sure. Uh, there's so much to think about. It's, it's kind of like spinning plates, you know, where someone's spinning plates on a pole. Yeah. No one knows how they do it, but it's very difficult. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, and you have to kind of keep running from one thing to the other to say, yeah, I know I, I know I should be doing a really fantastic uh, splash drawing here, but I've also got 400 Daleks to draw and insert and also think about the world balloons and where they're going to go and not cover too many things up and uh, you know, the perspective and all kinds of stuff is going on all at the same time. And will I get it done in time? <laughs> Is number one problem. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, one other question regarding the doing the strip now compared to back in the day. Um, your the the strip now each issue is only six pages as opposed to uh, it had been eight or maybe even a little bit or a page or two more than that back in the day. Is it tough trying to to fit a lot of a story into six pages? Or the, in between uh, what how Alan scripts up the the strip, it, it's pretty pretty easy to do. Oh no, it's because uh, Alan's done all the thinking in advance. He he knows, you know, he, he specifies which page. Uh, I mean, again, this is not like a lot of American comics done different to this. I think, um, uh, and the the artist is allowed to you know uh, paste the thing and break it down. Yeah, yeah. But the w- British scripts are nearly always. Page one, you know, five panels, first panel, this happens, they say mm-hmm. this, second panel, this happens, they say this, and yeah. that's the way through. So you know the pacing of it is entirely set by the writer. By the writer. And if they're good, can can get from I mean they've got it's a hell of a thing, you know, trying to structure this stuff because you've got to start off with a bang. You've got to um, get your establishing shots and uh, establishing the framework of where we are, what's going to happen, you know, what's what the, the status quo, if you think. What, where are we at the start of the story? Something interesting has got to happen really quickly. Then you've got to react to it. Then something else has got to happen. Then you've got to react to that. And then you've got a cliffhanger. And that's yeah. how almost all of you know any episodic thing uh, runs that way. Uh-huh. Uh, and so it's, there's a lot to pack in, and it takes a lot of skill to do that. Uh, I think that um, Alan's doing a great job. I know when we when we did Radio Times uh, comic strip, which I think we talked about last time, um, yeah. with Gary Russell who was the writer on that, he, his, you know, his big adjustment was to have to get all of that. It, this was only a half-page strip with six panels, uh, and we had to, and it was landscape, so you had to kind of throw all the normal stuff out the window. And go for the fact that, A, in the top left-hand corner, there was a logo which you had to have with which episode it was. Then yeah. you had to have a recap of where we were or, or the resolution of the cliffhanger. Then you had to have a bit of advancement. Then you had to, you know, with hopefully something interesting happening along the way. <laughs> then you uh-huh. had to have a cliffhanger all in six panels. And that was that was really tight. And, and we, But I think we both enjoyed that restriction. It was quite interesting working that way. And yeah. I, I doubt Alan's doing a great job doing it because I, I've, I've only seen the first two um, uh, episodes scripts. Uh, the third is uh, I am sure winging its way to me very quickly. Um, at subsequent to this, um, 
but uh, I have, and I have no idea where the story is going at all. I, I, only what I read, only what you've read in the in the in the thing as well. There's mm-hmm. going to be some here and there, but um, I, I've no idea what the overall arc of this is going to be like at all. But he's doing a good job, uh, and I think Alan's used to doing this kind of uh, that kind of sequencing. I think he'd done that before, so um, it's working out fine at the moment. Sure. Yeah, you know, uh, reading the the first part of the strip, uh, I, I I really enjoyed it. It was wonderful to see your artwork back in Doctor Who magazine. Um, I I thought it was a good first part of the story. I'm interested to see how the story is. You know, all uh, thirteen parts is going to take place in the span of an hour of time. Yeah, uh, I think that's going to be really interesting, and um, I, I I'm excited about the fact that. It feels like the comic strip in Doctor Who magazine has become important again. To me, it kind of it's uh, felt since uh, the the start of COVID and when they put the comic strip on hiatus in Doctor Who magazine that it kind of lost the the uh, importance or attention that I think that it it deserves uh, or has had since Doctor Who magazine started, and it, it feels great to me as somebody who loves Doctor Who comics, to, to have that attention put back on the comic strip. And uh, it's great to see you and Alan, um, you know, starting off what I think is going to be a wonderful strip and, and something that's going to have a, a place in current continuity. Yeah, it, oh, I thank you for all of that. Um, it, it's, I think you're right. I think that the uh, I spoke to a lot of people at the weekend who were either lapsed readers of the magazine or were um they felt the whole thing was treading water i think but that there, there are lots of reasons for that but i think that yeah the sudden sh- i mean it would have been a thankless task running the magazine given the the the, the whole covid thing and uh and the decline in readership uh, for various reasons yeah. Yep. And, 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 of course, the distribution is always a problem as well, because once you start losing uh, readers, then you kind of, it's an uphill struggle to get them back. Um, and, of course, I think what has happened, I, I mean, I don't know too much of the detail about how things have been over the last few months. I know that the strip disappeared for a while. Um, and, uh, and I know that a lot of people were kind of, Thinking, well, it doesn't. It doesn't seem as exciting to get it now as it used to. And a lot of people were, if they hadn't already cancelled, were sort of thinking of unsubscribing. And that's a terrible situation to be in because you do need. I mean, I have lived through that on on both RoboCop and TechWorld, uh, yeah. Marvel, uh, Marvel US. That um, you know, you the decline in readership is a natural process. You, you know, it, it, things don't get bigger and bigger generally. They they tend to dwindle. Yeah. But once you start to get at the core readership and have them kind of being disinterested, then you're really in, in trouble. But uh, this whole thing about the, the revived uh, interest, in, I mean, it, it did seem palpably, there was palpable excitement by the people that I was talking to. You know, they were aware of the strip was back and they couldn't, a lot of them couldn't get hold of the magazine because it wasn't as available as it used to be. Uh, and so it sold out, it sold out online, I think, in Panini's store yep. Yep. In, five, in five hours. So 
that was a mark of sudden interest. And I think, obviously, the return of, of David Tennant as the Doctor, uh, even if you didn't like him, it would be a, you know, it's a big thing, a very noticeable thing. And yeah. I think that the the importance of the show's new um, regime is that there is a huge amount more money going into the programme and it has to do really well. I am sure that this is no, it's not, it's not even speculation. It has to do really well because A, there's a lot more money going in and so you need to make the biggest splash you possibly can and I'm sure that, well, I know that uh, Shooty's uh, schedule and stuff was, was you know, part of the mix yeah. to get back an established doctor with an established uh, hit showrunner um, after a period of, uh, uh, I mean, you know, what, there are loads of fans of, of the, the, the previous uh, uh, regime and, and that's fine. But the, the, and the viewing figures, I think were not dissimilar, but you can tell with peripherals like merchandise. It was there wasn't the merchandise wasn't really happening in the same way that it had been, and yeah. I think that for the BBC's one of the BBC's flagship programmes, really, um, it needed a shot in the arm, and it seems to have got one. And I really hope that we can keep the momentum up from here and maybe make it bigger because I've no doubt more people will have copies of Part Two of the strip than had part two, part one, because <laughs> it's now trading hands on, on eBay at very ex inflated costs. <laughs> I had to buy one myself actually for a friend of mine. Oh really? I didn't um, know who I was. That would have been so <laughs> but, um, uh, but yeah, it's, it's so, you know, I think it's going to go great guns actually. Yeah. I, I think you're right. I think it's just going to keep growing and, uh, it's, it seems like getting back under uh, Russell T. Davies' regime uh, has definitely given it, a, given it a shot in the arm and uh, created, with, with David Tennant returning, has caused some excitement and stuff. And uh, I, I think it's, even though we have to wait almost a year for a new episode, um, I think it's, they're going to do a, a, they've already been doing a great job promoting the, the brand and and I think it's going to continue to do so through this next upcoming year. Yeah, I think that any change uh, is bound to bring a kind of uh, give it give the thing a fillet. Um, uh, but this particular thing, I, I am well. I, I mean, I don't know the ins and outs of all of this, but you know, it seems pretty obvious that if you need the show to get back to where it was, get back the people who got it to where it was. And that's yeah. what, and Russell T. Davis has been very proactive with, uh, with helping the magazine. I know that um, simply through the comic strip. I know that um, you know he's he was very definitely part of the whole thing, and keen that it should uh, reflect reflect and promote and uh, presage uh, the return of the the actual show. So. Um, you know, I think that's a very conscientious and wise business thing to do. I mean, it's nice from a, you know, obviously for a reader's point of view, it's nice to have the strip back. It's nice to have <laughs> maybe me uh, returning. Um, but those things are all aimed at pushing the thing forward and actually delivering, hopefully, uh, a return to um, a return to the glory days, I guess. Yeah. 
Yep, I totally agree. Um, well, I uh, two last questions for you. Um, okay. One, um, with the Doctor Who comic strip going on right now, do you have any other projects in the works that you're currently working on? Oh, well, there's always other stuff going on. I, I, um, I just finished, uh, and it's now out in, in print, a, uh, a comic strip in a com- compilation, an anthology of Fireball XL5. Uh, okay. From the 1960s. Now, Fireball XL5 is, uh, I know it's all another British uh, thing, but Fireball was very popular in America. It was one of the few networked, Jerry Anderson series, his puppet series set in space. Uh, uh-huh. uh, to no one's great surprise, uh, and um, uh, it was a favourite of mine. And I did a, I recently wrote my first comic strip and drew it and coloured it in a fit of egomania that has yet to be believed. Uh, <laughs> and uh, for Jamie Anderson, who is Jerry Anderson's son, he's now um, assumed the mantle and is uh, publishing. Uh, the strips that were put out in the 60s. And I did a, I've done a, a strip which ties uh, not only some of those strips together and builds on them, but it also introduces some of the other um, uh, famous, well, famous, depending on whether you're a fan or not, but Thunderbirds, Captain Scarlet and Stingray, all of which are Anderson series, and all mm-hmm. of whom had very small cameos in the original Fireball strips. Well, I've made sure there's a story which which builds on those cameos and extends those stories and actually has them all fully involved in the story. So all that's a Fireball XL5 story, following that crew. Spectrum is part of it with Captain Scarlet. Um, okay. So on and so forth. So and there's, there are rescues and all kinds of stuff going on. So, of course, there's international rescue. Uh-huh. I've, called, I've called it interplanetary rescue, so um, <laughs> a little conceit. Um, yeah, so that's that's what I, I had just finished before this came along. Okay. Um, and then I'm also doing, I do a, a for Penguin books uh, over here. I do a series of um, graphic novels. Uh, they're sort of mini graphic novels to help people with learning English as foreign language. Um, okay. You'll probably never see them anywhere, but they're very specialist. But um, that that's a nice kind of side project. And I think I'll be continuing that. Certainly, I'm supposed to be continuing that early next year. Um, and then there's all sorts of, I'm doing some packaging for some Jerry Anderson uh, toys that are coming up as well. So okay. no retirement for me yet. <laughs> so you got plenty of stuff going on. Uh, my, my last question for you, uh, speaking of projects, um, now that we're going to have uh, a 14th Doctor and a 15th Doctor, um, mm. do you have any plans to update your usual suspects print? <laughs> oh, you wicked man. Uh, <laughs> uh, yes, the, the usual suspects, for those who don't know, is uh, this line of, it's a lineup of, uh, of all the Doctors in order left to right, and they are standing against a height chart, which is... Uh, all based on a, um, so it's mugshot kind of time, uh, and it's all based on the poster for the Usual Suspects movie, which is why it's uh, And um, uh, I did a version of that with Seven Doctors, and it's grown and grown and grown, of course, as each new Doctor comes along. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, I'm at a cuspal moment, really, with it, because, I mean, it's definite that, that David's new Doctor is the 14th Doctor, 
So he's got to go in there, because otherwise our number goes to hell. Uh, yep. The war doctor is already in there. That was okay, because that's all, that's all canon um, with the regeneration between uh, McGann and him. Uh, but there's also... Uh, there are other elements, of course. So there's, there's uh-huh. Julie who's coming in as the 15th, and there's also the fugitive doctor. Now, yeah. I'm not sure yet if that is going to remain or has ever been canon. So that is a that's a, a matter for debate. Uh-huh. And one one that I can't I can't really I can't really bring my mind to bear on it without going round in circles. Because <laughs> that one is she, kind of a touchy one, isn't it? it well, yeah. I mean, it uh, it has not been indisputably shown to me that that she is really the Doctor. It may well be that she was. The intention was that she was. But there is an absolute definite proof, and there isn't a regeneration, so we don't know where she sits, if she is. Uh, and I would be very loath to include her in the early uh, Doctors because I that I lived through them, and they were Doctors one, two, three, and four, you know, and yeah. five. And so I I would be re- if they suddenly say she's between you know two and three. Then, uh, that would be really tough. I'd have uh-huh. to re- make, I'd have to make an executive decision based on how brave I was feeling. I think. <laughs> yeah, that, that's understandable. Yeah, she's she's a difficult one. It's... And I'm never going to put the Morbius doctors in. So that's uh, and the time, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm very hopeful that the whole time this child thing will just go away and we won't have to deal with that anymore because. I haven't got paper wide enough to put them yeah, that's, that's what I was thinking. It's like eventually you're going to kind of run out of, of length to, to get yeah, them all in. And the, the longer it gets, the, the smaller the figures become on because, you know, the paper uh-huh. is finer. You know, I'm already printing on oversized uh, paper. I did think there would be a quite, and maybe there's a market for a whole Doctor Who toilet roll. So you could have <laughs> uh, an endless procession of, of people and you could tear off your own favorite one. Uh-huh. Ah. <laughs> well, there, there you go. Marketing. You're in marketing. Yeah, I think, I think I should put that to the BBC. I've got this great idea, you know. Uh-huh. Well, they've had there's been Doctor Who underpants. So really it's only one step. Yeah, one exactly. Step the yeah, it's right there. If they're gonna do underpants, they can definitely do toilet paper. <laughs> Well, that is a perfect note to end on, I think, for some oddball reason. But, <laughs> very, but, very but, <laughs> yes, very, one, but. <laughs> but Lee, uh, it's been a pleasure to chat with you once again. Uh, it's always great to chat with you. Thank you for being a friend of, of mine and a friend of the podcast. And uh, I look forward to seeing your artwork for the upcoming year and uh, continued success. And uh, thank you for joining me. Well, thank you very much. May your podcast go from strength to strength and neither of us ever retire. Many thanks to Lee Sullivan for taking time out of his busy schedule to chat with me about his uh, new work on the Doctor Who magazine comic strip. It's great to see Lee's artwork back in Doctor Who magazine. It has been quite some time since we have been graced by his wonderful pencils and inks, and uh, it was neat to see him drawing David Tennant again, uh, this time as the 14th Doctor. So thanks, Lee, for joining me and chatting about uh, your craft and uh, your everything else we chatted about, which you all just heard on this episode of Doctor Who Panel the Panel. 
Thank you for downloading this episode. I really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And I hope those of you who are traveling home from Chicago TARDIS or traveling wherever you are over Thanksgiving weekend um, may listen to this on your journey. And uh, thank you. Uh, One last thing before I close this one up. I just wanted to let people know that I am selling a bunch of Doctor Who magazines that I've had in storage for quite some time. Uh, I have them up on eBay. If you do a search for uh, seller Doctor Who TARDIS, D-R-W-H-O-T-A-R-D-I-S, that is me as an eBay seller. I have lots of Doctor Who magazines. I am letting go dirt cheap, pretty much uh, starting out at about $3 a piece on up from there. Lots of ones for $3 if you're looking to fill the holes in your collection and want some really pristine copies of Doctor Who magazine. Make sure you check out eBay or look up Doctor Who Magazine, whatever issue number you're looking for. You'll probably find something for my collection. Um, Thanks in advance if you do that. Otherwise, uh, pay no attention to this commercial. And with that out of the way, this is Jeremy Bement thanking you one last final time for downloading this episode of Doctor Who Panel to Panel. And until next time, bye. Doctor Who Panel to Panel, the podcast about Doctor Who comics, thanks you for downloading this episode. Let us know what you thought about this episode or of Doctor Who comics in general. You can find us socially on Facebook at Doctor Who Panel to Panel, on Twitter at Doctor Who P2P, 2 being the number 2, and online at DoctorWhoComics.com. Download previous episodes via your favorite podcast service and find the complete catalog of episodes featuring amazing interviews with creators past and present at archive.org. Just search for Doctor Who Panel to Panel. Thank you.